And we welcome you to the Monday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. Today's conversation on the Morning Show is important and timely. We're going to be talking about the training of those who go into the challenging field of law enforcement and what kind of training is most effective so that those that engage in this dangerous, challenging, and important work uh, can do so as effectively and, and safely and, and properly as possible. And, um, of course, uh, thanks to all kinds of, of, uh, of events and, and incidents and concerns, including, of course, some very, very close to home, needless to say, uh, this kind of conversation uh, is as important as it has ever been. And I am deeply uh, appreciative of the two gentlemen who are joining me today on The Morning Show to talk about some of these important issues and matters. First of all, Richard Stein, who is Director of Law Enforcement Training here at Gateway Technical College, and Ray Clark, who is a halftime instructor in the Law Enforcement uh, Academy. And uh, we will be talking with both of them uh, about uh, these matters and more. Richard Stein, Ray Clark, we welcome you both to The Morning Show. Good morning, Greg. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Thank you for uh, thank you for joining me for this uh, this conversation. Um, ahead of us digging into some of the details and the nuts and bolts, uh, I think it's important for our listeners to kind of know the story of each of you in terms of your own professional relationship to the field of law enforcement. Richard Stein, let's begin with you. Uh, your professional background and the pathway that ultimately took you to your current position at Gateway. Sure. So I started with the City of Milwaukee Police Department back in 1993 as a young recruit many, many years ago. Um, in uh, 2018, I retired from Milwaukee Police. I was uh, the deputy director of their training academy. So Milwaukee Police has its own training academy. Uh, I retired there and then I, three days later, started here with Gateway. Um, took over Gateway's directorship of their training academy. So been a lot of time in the field and almost coming on two years here. Very good. Ray Clark, tell us who you are and what you have done ahead of uh, beginning this particular relationship with Gateway. Most certainly, Greg. Um, I started in law enforcement in 1991. Um, I'm still current in law enforcement. I'm actually the chief of police in the town of Delavan right now. Um, so I still stay current in law enforcement. I started teaching with Gateway about the year 2000. Um, and I've been with Gateway as an adjunct um, all the way through two, two and a half years ago when I took a halftime position. Um, I have been with Gateway f since the inception of the academy. Uh, I've been teaching in the academy since we started the academy here. I teach EVOC, which is the driving portion. Um, I'm also a constitutional law instructor. I teach constitutional law. And I administer all this scenario and um, integration exercise, which is the hands-on based training that they have. Very good. From each of you, I would really be interested to know what drew you to this field in the first place. I mean, that drew each of you to want to become uh, police officers. Richard Stein? I kind of stumbled into it. I, uh, I actually was going for an accounting degree because that was, that was one of the easiest ways. Well, one of the surest ways to get into the FBI, actually, was through accounting degree. But it turns out I don't like accounting, so I just finished with a regular business degree. Um, and then at that time, like police was hiring, I was finishing up uh, my undergrad at uh, Marquette University. And so I kind of applied half on a whim, 
Um, there was a hiring freeze at that time with Milwaukee. Uh, they had a little issue with Dahmer at that time, so everything got frozen. And then uh, out of the blue, I got a call. He said, are you interested? And I was I was debating whether I wanted to take a, a desk job somewhere. And I decided, well, let's let's give this a whirl. And, uh, I kind of stumbled into it. And, um, it's very fortunate. Had a very varied career with Milwaukee Police. Um, a lot of different assignments, a lot of different work experiences. It's a very rewarding career there with Milwaukee. I was very happy. Very good. How about you, Ray Clark? Um, going to be the corniness of saying that I did want to help people. I lived in our city, Los Angeles. We moved back here uh, to Kenosha when I was about uh, 10, 9. Um, my dad was an iron worker. Actually, he wanted me always to be an iron worker with him. I don't like heights, and I wasn't going up on those little beams. Um, uh, I admire everything he did and, and, and being what he did, um, but I always kind of wanted to to do this. My, my family was, my dad was also, you know, military. I had asthma at the time, couldn't get into the military and kind of just wanted to do something that was going to help and help the country, help the people. And uh, for me, this kind of, I guess, was my natural progression to, to do something. I, I got into this and didn't know if this was even going to be for me. And I know it's going to be corny as well. My first constitutional law class, I loved it. Probably why I'm a constitutional law instructor now is just we, you know, once I started hearing about the law and the fact that, you know what, you know, the Supreme Court interprets this and, and, and everything, it, it just, it really piqued my interest in. So, interesting. Kind of where I so that aspect of the work, I suppose, involves things like reading someone their Miranda rights, which in and of itself would seem to be a relatively straightforward matter that probably I could even do having watched enough cop shows on television, but I suspect that uh, what you're talking about goes far beyond that that really important but kind of simple principle. Yes, most certainly. It's, uh, it's actually a little bit more complicated than most people realize as to when and where and how and what we, we do with Miranda rights. And I would caution everybody, don't get your, don't get your policing off of the TV shows because a lot of times that's wrong. Um, but yes, it's it, it's way more complicated than that, and I think that uh, uh, that communication, just talking about it even right now, is is pretty much what's key in in this career. Uh, people, I think, who don't do this career need to understand as well um, why we do what we do and how we do what we do, and I think it's a little bit more eye opening once you do. Hmm. I think, you know, just to piggyback on what Ray is saying. So his constitutional law component of the academy, just that is 32 hours. And so that's almost a full credit worth of a course. And so you know, the police academy is often, you know, you look at it, you see the cool stuff they do, right? The, the, the firearms or the defense and arrest tactics, the driving. But those tactical skills, that's only one third of the academy. The other two thirds are, are professional communication, it's con law, it's ethics. It's, it's so many other different components um, that are a classroom that we're sending the recruits through. So, yeah, you know, the running and gunning stuff's the cool stuff, but that's the, that's actually the minority of the things that we train them. Hmm. I wonder if it is a little bit of an issue to uh, <laughs> help those who might be interested in entering Gateway's Law Enforcement Academy to understand that right from the start, that this is not like television, 
and that police work is not like either what you saw on uh, on Hill Street Blue reruns or uh, Adam Twelve reruns to go back oh, another yeah, generation. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. right. You're, you're dating us there a little bit. Right. Yeah, <laughs> we all know who that is. Yeah, dating myself too. But I mean, uh, but it, but but really and truly, I, I'm very curious to know when the when the typical prospective student walks in the door or first clicks on the mouse to, to reach out to the program, uh, right at the outset, what needs to be said to kind of help people understand what kind of field they're really entering and what it really means to be a police officer in 2020. And uh, my, my take on it is in order to get to the law enforcement academy where we are, they have to have 60 college credits already. Um, they can't just walk in and, and go into a law enforcement academy. The state of Wisconsin says you have to have a minimum of 60 college credits um, to get in that or be sponsored by a department. So you have to know, even if you're sponsored by a department, there you have a certain amount of time that they have to get those 60 college credits as well. Um, so at this point, I would hope that they know getting into it what it is. Um, when I taught in the criminal justice degree, um, that was some of the things we have a, a, a class called intro to law or intro to criminal justice. And part of that class is explaining that, you know, um, our, our career in reality is based mostly on communication um, and, and talking to people. Um, the major big things that you see a lot of times are very minimal in what we do. Um, most officers very seldomly ever use their firearm. Um, most officers don't use, uh, you know, a, a CW, which is a taser, or OC, or all that stuff that they, they carry. They, they use that very rarely. Our talking is where we get our compliance and we talk to people, and that's the majority of what we do. Am I correct, Rich? Yeah, I think, you know, and it's, it's, it's interesting you say that because the, the academy is broken into three phases. Right, and it's just the way that uh, the curriculum is written actually by the Law Enforcement Standard Board. So we as technical colleges, we're authorized to teach the curriculum. And we bring our, our own instructors, we bring our own unique take um, on, the, on the coursework, but the coursework itself, right, is mandated. So phase one is almost all classroom. There's very little hands-on in phase one. So that's six weeks of classroom. And so the expectation right away and we start with orientation from day one is you will, you know, you're going to sit there and we take away their computers. We take away their phones and the emphasis on listening, active listening, which is, which means you're engaging, you're listening, you're, you're able to repeat back what was told to you. You're and, and, and communicating. So we really stress to the recruits when you're on break in the hallway, you will be respectful of the other students. You will engage them. Hey, how's it going today? Because the sooner we can get that engagement with the public into their mind and, and the ability to do it, the better off they're gonna be. So we start from day one, basically teaching them this is a communication course for all intents and purposes. You're gonna become a, a master degree level of constitutional law, professional communication, statutes, crimes, uh, report writing's big, a lot of reports. That's 99% of what they do is going to be writing for the rest of their career. So it's important that we get these these skills down before we even start moving on to the more tactical skills. Maybe you could talk us through kind of the, the way the rest of the basic curriculum fills out then. 
uh, once those six weeks of, of work in the classroom are done? Sure. So uh, we kind of, I know, oh, Ray, Ray likes to call it this. It's the, what do you get? It's the crawl, walk, run. Okay, so the crawl phase is phase one. It is, hey, you're police officers or you're going to be police officers, you're going to be deputies someday. So we lay the groundwork. So think police work 101. So we, we go everything from officer wellness has become a, a large uh, part of our academy as well. So that includes not just your physical well-being, but your mental well-being, um, emotional intelligence. So you're able to communicate with people who are not pleased with you, but understand how to, how to engage in that communication. And that goes right into your communications, your, your common law, like you mentioned, ethics. So we talk a lot about, about you know, ethical decision-making. Um, and just kind of the small things, a lot of report writing, how, what is, what is gonna, what is a, what is a good police report look like, right? Because um, your report is what you're, is what you're going to rely on eight, 12 months later when now you're testifying in court because your memory is, is going to be what your memory is. So it's important that we get the good basics of report writing down for their, for their skills. Um, and then we jump into phase two. In phase two, we, we go some more, more advanced professional communication. So now we're not just talking about communication. Now we're saying, how do we engage in, in those hardest hards, right? How do we engage in difficult conversations? How do we diffuse situations with our voice, right? How do we use communication as a tool to diffuse situations? Um, Ray has a, is advanced con uh, constitutional law. Right, so now we're going just we're going a deeper dive. I'll let him talk more about that. But we go deeper into not just the Constitution and but what does it mean, right? What what do what do historical court um, results mean to us in law enforcement, and and how do those how does that tort affect us in the way that we form our jobs and, and and limit us in what we can do, and what those responsibilities are for the officers as well. They're granted immense powers by the people we, we serve and what does that mean um, in the service of those people. And then we get into the fun stuff like firearms, emergency vehicle operations, tactical operations. So there is a lot in the phase two of now, we've laid the groundwork for what you can do and how you can do it and why, what your obligations are and you learn what your standing is and what you're legally entitled to do. Now we go into how, how do we do those? How do we perform those skills? We wrap up phase three, um, we come, we circle right back. And so now we say we've, we've laid the groundwork for police work. We've shown you the skills to do some of the tactical things. Now let's go even deeper. So now we're going into um, police work 201, right? The more advanced courses. We get into, um, we've had a little taste of, of tactical and both tactical, meaning the way you position yourselves and tactical communication, the way you speak. And then we move into crisis intervention. How do we deal with people in emotional crisis? Right? What does that look like when you're dealing with someone who's, who is not unfortunate, who is not rational, and yet you still have to de-escalate that situation? Well, we go, we go. You've got, we've taught you how to talk. We've taught you how to stand. Well, let's put those together and execute that. So, we round out after that. After we kind of go through that, we go through. Uh, we spend a lot of time on OWI. It's very there's one thing you're going to go to court on, it's OWI. Those always go to court. Spend a good 40 hours on just learning the basics of how do we, how do we determine, you know, the probable cause we need to arrest you for OWI and what that looks like. And we finish out 
with touching on sexual assault investigations, juvenile investigations, right? How do we handle investigating things with juveniles? Because those are very sensitive situations. So we've, again, laid the basic groundwork for communication. And now, now you're entering these very volatile situations where you're dealing with a victim who happens to be a child. How, how does that look like? Because that's, that's gonna be an entirely different situation. We wrap everything up then with scenario week. So scenario week is 40 hours long. There is a tested scenario at the end of it. The scenarios are our instructor's chance, and um, Ray can touch on it more, to take everything we've learned and we put them into real life, as real life situations as we can. And we say, here you go. We've given you the skills, knowledge, and abilities to do this. Go forth and show us. Wow. That gives us a real sense not only of how thorough and comprehensive this kind of training is, but it also really gives us also a sense of just how complicated and challenging this work is uh, once one has graduated and is and is out in the world. For those of you just joining us today on The Morning Show, I am speaking with Richard Stein, Director of Law Enforcement Training here at Gateway Technical College, and also with us is Ray Clark, uh, who is not only chief of police for the town of Delavan, but also a halftime instructor in the law enforcement academy here at Gateway. Ray Clark, uh, let's talk a bit about what Richard Stein was touching on at the end, uh, namely the incredibly important work that uh, is involved in scenario training, in which all of this moves from the theoretical, it moves off the blackboard and and into real life, and to real life scenarios that by their very nature, are going to be, to some extent at least, unpredictable. And in many cases, officers are called upon to make uh, what will be life and death decisions about use of force. And of course, these are matters that are as timely as can be. Uh, before we talk about how you kind of train uh, young people or students of whatever age in, in some of this, uh, I wonder if you can just talk a little bit about uh, the way in which the training of officers has changed since, for instance, the beginning of your career. I mean, you began as a police officer in 1991. I add parenthetically the year of the Rodney King incident. So your career has been uh, lived out uh, during this this time of, 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 in a sense, escalating turbulence and challenge. Um, how has the training of of, of law enforcement officers change through the course of your career? And Greg, that's an excellent question. Um, you know, when I started, the academy was 320 hours long. Um, now we're at a 720 hour academy. We've added 400 hours since I started 30 years ago in the academy. Um, when I started, uh, the criteria for coming in was you had to be 18 years old and uh, have a driver's license and that was all you needed to be a police officer uh, yeah. you didn't have to have any college credits you didn't have to have any um uh th there wasn't much of a background slash psychological uh, evaluation you didn't have to have a psychological at the time um now we've changed a lot in law enforcement you know um we, we we've I don't want to use the word become more professional, but we are a professional organization and have evolved toward that professional, uh, a higher professional standard as we kept going. Uh, Wisconsin happens to be one of the states that has one of the more advanced or I guess in-depth in, in training hours. Um, we, like I said, have 720 hours. 
I don't know if we completely lead the country, but we're right up there on the amount of hours we offer in a, uh, a training academy. The things that obviously in 320 hours you get versus 700 hours is, you know, astronomical different different things. Um, when I went through, uh, communication was a thing. They used to call it, they were just starting to call it verbal judo, and I'm sure Richard probably remember when they called it verbal judo um, back in the days. Um, and actually that was kind of a brand new thing um, uh, of us doing that. And it is involved into our professional communications, which is uh, a, a sizable block in the academy of communicating with people. When I went through, they called uh, the hands-on portion risk, not DAT, which DAT stands for defense, defense and arrest tactics. Um, and there wasn't, there was some communication there, but it wasn't a lot of communication going there. Now we've molded that communication into the force. If they have to use force that we need to communicate, all right, um, all right, we have an intervention options in the state of Wisconsin, which is something that I know a lot of people looking for reform are calling for, hey, we should have some type of force continuum. Wisconsin for years has had, they used to have what was called the force continuum. It's called intervention options now, which start with our mere presence is a use of force. Just when I show up there on a scene with this big uniform on and, and all my stuff, that's a use of force. Um, then it goes to our dialogue. Then it goes to um, control alternatives, which would be something like um, a taser or something like um, an OC spray or a, a come along hold. And then it goes to a protective alternative, which is something that is going to be um, a more like if I have to do some type of strike on you or use a baton. And then the last phase, the last level is deadly force. So we have these intervention options that they have to go through. Um, so training has completely evolved in the last 30 years of my career. Um, it, it's went in a very good, good way. You know, um, I don't want to stereotype the old 1970s, 80s cops, but you know, we don't need the big dumb cops that can just go out there. And I'm not want to be rude to anybody. If you know anybody that was a, a police officer in the 70s, I'm not saying they were dumb. I mean, we don't need people that can just go out there and and, you know, and and use force because we have all of these tools now, these communication tools, these, you know, um, um, even with our control devices like tasers and stuff, we have these less lethal type of tools that we have to be able to control people better. It's more about dialogue. It's more about talking to people now. Um, and that's what I, I've seen kind of evolve for our career. Hmm. So, so when we're talking about... Yeah. The, the training that occurs at Gateway in your academy, and, and I guess it's phase three, uh, how is it that you create scenarios in which uh, one of your students uh, confronts a situation, something like they might confront out in the world, and where they're going to have to make choices in the moment about how do I de-escalate this difficult situation? I mean, what are the nuts and bolts of how you do this critically important uh, work in the training process. And to tie a tag on what we were just talking about a little bit before I answered that, I don't, I'm not going to do not answer it, but the theoretical is wonderful. It's great to learn and book learn and see and know. But until you have to do something and think on your feet and do that, sometimes it doesn't click with people. And we're in a career where it is ever-changing. Nothing is ever the same. 
the same incident I may go to today. I may go to the exact same two people doing the exact same, being called for the exact same thing tomorrow at the exact same time, and it's going to be a different incident. So nothing is ever status quo or everything is changing. So it's a good question to say, why, what do we do? How do we, how do we bring this in? The state, I can't tell you exactly because the state is kind of secretive on exactly what their scenario, scenario testings are. So I can't say that um, because they will have actually an entire week, four days of practice scenarios. And then they have a testing scenario where they have to pass four scenarios at the very end. If they do not, they're going to be out of the academy and they would have to take the entire 720 hour academy over again. Where we get the scenarios are the state has certain ones that are already set. We as a college can most certainly add on to them. Um, some of the things that I think Rich can will probably touch on in a little bit is, you know, we added on and made sure that, you know, there were an officer override type scenario in this one where you have to override an officer that is doing something that should not be doing something. Mm -hmm. It is our responsibility as law enforcement, whether it is me on the scene or whether it is one of my officers and I am doing something for them to step in and go, Hey, that's wrong. Chief, you need to not do that. All right. It is a, a 100% responsibility of each officer to do that. So we have a scenario in which we just, we, we, we had in there that was an override where actually I played the role player. They know me as a chief there. They know me as this. So they know me as a person that's of authority and they had to override what I was doing because what I was doing was wrong. Um, we also have de-escalation scenarios. We have other scenarios built in that aren't exactly called de-escalation, but they, they, they do de-escalate. We have scenarios that involve um, people in um, some type of, uh, it's a welfare check where they have some type of um, depression going on, all right, where they could be suicidal. They could not be suicidal. It depends. Our talking kind of gets to see what, what's going to happen with them. Um, we have scenarios that involve traffic stops, obviously, because they're going to be dealing with traffic stops. We have scenarios that involve, um, um, right, I think, domestic situations um, and, and multiple different types of situations. We are kind of scripted by the state for certain scenarios, but we are allowed and we've added time in, I got to commend the director and adding more time in. So we are allowed to have scenarios that are kind of extra than what the state has to kind of add on to that even more. And do you, do you utilize, I'll call them actors. I mean, who, who ends up playing the role of, of suspect or perpetrator or whatever we want to say. Uh, and, and, and how scripted, are these scenarios? I mean, are they scripted down to the word? Um, I like, I think, so think of it as rails, right? So when a, per, a good scenario allows the officer to always succeed. So we're always going to drive a scenario towards success, but they have to get there on their own. Hmm. So, so we want, scenarios are kind of funny because you get the illusion that you, you've got free will and decision-making, but they're very tightly written by us. And, and we, you know, Chief Clark does a great job. We, we brief before each one, we test each one, and everyone knows their place within, within a scenario. And the driver is that role player, right? That role player is the person that will drive that scenario um, to where it needs to go. So the purpose of a scenario is not, to, it's not a gotcha, because that's, that's the worst thing you could do. So, and it all comes down to, uh, quite honestly, science. 
in a crisis, your brain, right, will refer to what it knows to act in a crisis. Because your adrenaline's pumping, you've got to make decisions at the speed of light, and it's very difficult. So scenarios are our best tool to give those recruits those, those pathways, those engrams in their brain that they can refer to when they're in a crisis and they, the brain can glob onto and go. So we want that we want that crisis response, right? To go back and to look at something successful and to glab grab onto it and use that. So our scenarios are are designed for successful outcomes. Now they may not do it successfully, and that's okay. We're training. We need to learn the correct way to do it, right? And that's why we practice scenarios so much. Um, and then that's another key feature, other than in our tested scenarios, which which are a different animal. Failing is okay. This is the time to do it. This is the time to do it in scenarios. Hmm. You're learning, you're learning the correct way to do it. And so we will guide you as best we can during the course of the scenario. And they're written specifically that way. And we've given them the tools to do the scenario correctly through the course of the, of the instruction. Right? It's just, we're now in that putting it all together phase. Hmm. And to tag onto that, um, our, our role players are they have to be by state standard uh, trained. Um, so they are trained role players. Um, they actually are usually instructors that are there um, and they know what their role is. Um, when they go into a scenario, uh, we have what's called an exercise control officer who is there to run the exercise. They're making sure that nobody gets hurt. We had a safety officer there actually in every scenario just to make sure that everything is safe. Understand that they are we're making it as realistic as we can. So they will walk in with uh, OC that's inert, which is basically water. Um, they have a, uh, a, a firearm on them that doesn't fire a real round, but fires a blank round. Um, they have a baton on them that is made of plastic that they can, if they have to. They have a, uh, a taser or an electronic control device that doesn't have a battery in it, so they can't. In order to do this, we have to have, we have what's called triple checks. Everybody has to make sure that there is no, we don't want any training accidents. So. When they go in, like instructor or like director science said, um, they come in to the scenario as if it was real, and these role players know what they're doing and know their part. So I hope that answers the question. It does. For those of you just joining us, I'm speaking with Richard Stein, Director of Law Enforcement Training at Gateway Technical College, and Ray Clark, who is a halftime instructor uh, in the Law Enforcement Academy, and he also is Chief of Police for the town of, of, of Delavan. Um, at the risk of asking you to make some difficult generalizations, uh, I think it's important for us to ask uh, when, those are, when there are those instances in which a police officer or a law enforcement officer of any kind operates, in a, acts inappropriately. Uh, typically, what, are we, what has gone wrong in those in those moments where a police officer ends up making uh, poor decisions in terms of use of force and, and, and so on. And it's, it's, I'm mostly asking that for the sake of what the two of you think about in terms of training future police officers, in terms of, of what are those points of maybe greatest danger or severest vulnerability that you hope you can address through the way you 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 train your students uh, going forward from here. I, I can answer a little bit on that. I think. Um, let, let me start with um, 
I believe that when we start talking about when we have some type of excessive force type issue, um, first and foremost, I would just ask everyone, please, before we make a judgment and a snap decision on anything, to make sure we have all the facts of the situation. Um, that, that's, that's what I would ask first. Um, I, I can say this, that I've been a law enforcement officer for a long time. I know that uh, a lot of people believe that all we do is stick up for other police. Um, that's, that's not true. I can tell you that, um, that during uh, the, the incident with, with Mr. Floyd, um, that I don't know a police officer that went, hey, that was good. Uh, I think everybody went, that person, you know, again, we need to see an entire totality of a situation. But um, if we do something wrong, we need to be held accountable just like anybody else. And I, I think that law enforcement understands that. Um, I do believe, however, that we need to have all the facts before we decide at any time that this is not justified. And there are things that we do that I believe that people don't understand. This is what this whole communication is key, is, is a big thing, is I think we need to understand why we train what we train and how we train what we train and why the officer did what the officer did. That being said, if, if there is an issue of excessive force, we still, I hate to say this, are human, all right? Law enforcement still is human, we're human beings. And I'm not going to say that there aren't, there aren't issues of excessive force. Um, when that happens, yeah, one of the things that I, I will say is, and we train this and we, we do this in the academy, is we know, like uh, Director Stein said, that when you have some type of high-stress situation and your adrenaline kicks in, you lose your cognitive thinking abilities, your fine motor skills, your upper-level thinking, and you go back to revert to what's training. Um, if that training was not done correctly, that could be what's called a training scar that we would have. Um, and that, that, that could lead to something. If even the training was done correctly and you perceive something that's not a perception there and you act out of what you, what you should act, that's your mind saying, this is what I need to do at this time. A lot of times. And it's difficult for me to untrain that. I, I'm, I'm not in that situation, so I can't say, hey, I don't know what my mind, what this officer's mind was perceiving. It may be completely wrong and they need to be punished and things need to be gone, but I, I, I'm not in their mind at that time. Um, so for me, I look at it as if it's an excessive force type issue, then we should take it on a case basis and see why this person did this, what happened, Again, charge the officer, um, fire the officer, do what needs to be done if that needs to be done, all right, if it is indeed excessive force, and then every situation, maybe come back and look at that and go, hey, wh wh what can we train better, or can we even train better than this, or was it one officer doing something that they definitely shouldn't have done? Um, I just look at our career as saying that uh, I see as a chief, I do, and at least in my department, I can't speak for other departments, I can only speak for mine, that uh, I wouldn't tolerate any type of, you know, biased things or any type of, of, of excessive force or anything like that. And we would, we would terminate officers if we see that happening. Um, and and I, I feel that we do that when, when we see that happening. Right. 
You know, and I, uh, just to chime onto that too, I, when you come out of the academy, you come out of the academy trained to to do the, the best you can in those given situations, using the best tools and the best techniques um, that are available. Now, over time, what can happen is that that training could be overridden if you're doing things incorrectly. And then it, that comes down to a, a level of supervision. And so what are things, when I was with Milwaukee, we, um, we actually worked hand in hand with our internal affairs. They were in the same building. And so our in-service, when we brought the officers in every, you know, they would, the officers would come in every two to, two to three times a year for their in-service training. And we would go over the things, you know, the trends that we would see. And generally speaking, and this is just generally speaking, officers get into trouble in that seven to 11 years on the job mark, right? It's, you just, you're on just long enough to think you know everything, but you haven't seen it. So generally when we do, and we would do these, we'd call them ethical autopsies. We would, we would look at what happened and not just the incident itself, but we would want to go back and go back to the career of this officer that, that and see what were the warning signs we missed. And there's, and quite frankly, there's always warning signs, right? Very rarely do these type of incidents happen out of the blue where you're like, oh gosh, Fred was a great guy. I can't imagine that happened like that. Generally speaking, you could go back and you'd be, you could see little, 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 little incidents that led up to the big incident. So one of the things that that especially in basic recruit academy training, is we we try to prep them for that. Right? We try to say, look, your agency will always get sued on two things: failure to supervise or failure to train. Right? Mm. That's why you're here. You're here to train, and you're here to train and do it correctly. The training we give you is the legally defensible training that that seven to ten years from now you will fall back on and say, look, I, I did this particular thing the way I was trained, the way you know. And, yeah, it may not look nice, and, and unfortunately, anytime you use force, it's not going to look good. It's just the, just the reality of the situation. But, like Chief Clark was saying, when you look at the totality of the circumstances and what's in the officer's mind at the time use of force was, was employed, and that's, that's another key to when you talk about the use of force. It isn't what a, a, a video shows that determines the officer's, you know, ability to use force. It's what's in that officer's mind at the time he determined force needed to be used. And was that reasonable? Okay. Did that officer have a, have a reasonable fear for his safety or someone else's safety at the time he used force? And that's the standard, right, that, that we, need, we need to think about too. But it was, was a, is a reasonable person in the same situation where they do the same thing? They have a reasonable fear for their safety. And so it, it's, it's, it's tough, especially from our level, because we'll look at these snippets of situations. And I, I think Chief Clark and I are the same. We were like, okay, that looks bad, but now show me everything, right? I need to get, I need to know what was in that officer. I need to know what led up to that decision. So I know whether he made a reasonable choice or not. So, and just giving me a snippet of a situation, unfortunately, yes, it's, it's great in our current, you know, snippet world, which we operate in, but it doesn't give us the context we need, right? To really look at that situation and go, is that good? Is that bad? It could go either way, you know, depending on tell me what led up to it. Mm. So, you know, we look at that, you know, and as God, that looks awful, right? But but then we also understand, yeah, but what choice did he have? Let's let's go back, let's rewind the tape. Let's see, you know, 
let's see how the encounter started and what led up to the decision to use film. Right. So in other words, it's, it's, it's about trying to understand the full situation, the full story. And once we know that full situation and story, it might still be the mm-hmm. wrong choice that was made, but we know you that. Go, Whoa, what was that guy yeah, doing, right? But, but that, we, but we know that with more certainty. Uh, Ray Clark, I know we need to let you go in just a moment. Can I just have you touch briefly, uh, and then we'll have uh, Richard Stein follow up on the matter of, of, of race. And, uh, and, and to what extent this is one of those markers that you watch for very carefully as you are training these young officers in terms of certain attitudes or biases that one would not want to bring into this kind of work? Most certainly. Um, and I, I think that um, any bias in this career shouldn't be tolerated. Um, th- th- this is not a career of bias. Um, we, uh, I took an oath when I started 29 years ago. Um, That oath still means something to me, which is to uphold the Constitution of the United States of America, to uphold the Constitution of the state of Wisconsin, and the local rules and regulations of my jurisdiction. Um, We as law enforcement cannot be biased in any way, shape, or form, Um, whether it's on race, whether it's on sex, sexual orientation, whether it's on culture, whether it's on religion. We we can't. um, our, our job is to protect this constitution and to protect this, this, this country. And I, I will say this, if we, if we find somebody who's biased, they shouldn't be here. We shouldn't have them. Um, we, should, we should not have them in this career. They should be taken out of this career. This is not a career. If you wanna be biased, well, not something where you're upholding the laws of the country should you be biased in. Um, you can, maybe there's other careers that you could go do. Um, we do, I think, a, a, a decent job right now. We, we do actually, uh, in Wisconsin, I, I can only speak for Wisconsin again, so I know that when we start talking law enforcement nationally, um, Wisconsin leads in a lot of different things. We lead in training, um, and I'm not going to say we're the top, but we, we're up there in, in training. We're up there in uh, hiring processes and, and different things we do. Um, so I can only speak from, from our, our state's uh, kind of criteria. For me, um, we do a background check, a full background check. We do a psychological evaluation on everyone that comes in. Um, and if there's any characteristics in the psychological evaluation that's showing us any type of bias or anything that is any untrustworthiness, any, un, any bias, anything like that, um, they're eliminated from my process. Um, our background check is pretty thorough. I mean, it's a they fill out almost a 35-page questionnaire, all right, and we go talk to everybody from neighbors to other employers and, and, and try trying to find out exactly who the person is. An application is great, but most people are going to put people, their friends, on their application. I'm not going to put my neighbor that doesn't like me on my application, but if I go talk to the neighbor who doesn't like them, I can find out why the neighbor doesn't like them and what they may have said or other things, and, and we get people out of the career for that. Um, I, I have always said that it, it is not a career that we should have any type of bias. Um, and, and, and we touch on this so many different times in the academy. Um, this was the first week of the new academy. It just came in. I've had them in constitutional law. We've already discussed this in constitutional law. You know, First Amendment of the Constitution guarantees us you know, the right of freedom of religion right off the bat, the right to freedom of peacefully assemble, 
the right of freedom of speech. All right, and then we get to the other you know, due process under the 14th, and we talk about all these amendments and why we have them. Um, I know that they have cultural competencies and ethics, and they, it, we talk about it in so many different classes. Um, so the definitive answer, if you're asking me as a chief and as a police officer and as an instructor, is no, bias is not welcome in our career, nor should it be. And I think, and I can speak for every officer that I know that will agree with me that it's not welcome here in this career. Um, I will say uh, roughly there's 600,000 law enforcement officers in, in this country right now. Um, they are human and again, do people slip through that probably are biased or racist or in some way? I'm going to say probably those officers should be terminated. They should not be allowed to be on their departments if they are. Um, and I would hope whatever departments, if they found that they have an officer like that, would would terminate them. Um, but I do think that we in the academy really stress on that. Maybe Rich can touch a little bit more about that, but I think we really stress on this, the fact that we can't have any of these, these bias on anything um, at, at all. Rich, did you want to comment? I'm sorry, Greg. I was just going to say that touches on the heart and soul of the work that you do. It's it's like the last thing that should should be in the mix. I think you said that very well. And I know you have a meeting to get to, so uh, I want to... I apologize to everybody, but I do have a meeting to get to. Yep. Thank you very much. Um, if we want to do a follow-up at some time, I, I'm more than welcome to do so. I appreciate that. Ray Clark, uh, instructor uh, for the Law Enforcement Academy at Gateway and Police Chief at the Town of Delavan. Thank you for so much for being part of this. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you both. Uh, thank you. Richard Stein, you're still with us. And just in our last minute or so, uh, anything you want to... Uh, uh, well, I just want, let me, uh, let me take what Ray talked about and kind of carry that ball a little further. So, and what Ray specifically, what Chief Clark is talking about is conscious bias, right? And that's what's not tolerated. We all have unconscious bias. We all have our, un and that's just a fact of being human. And so I think the next level of training in, in law enforcement is, and this is what, uh, you know, I'm working, um, actually President uh, Albert's been great about this. We're working at the next level, which is, how do we deal with those unconscious bias? How do we identify them and how do we deal with them? Because everyone has them, right? You're human, you make observations and you make judgments on um, an individual based on your visual observations. It's just, that's part of being human. So, and those, those judgments are based on your upbringing, they're based on your experiences, all part of, of where you got to in, in, in this particular moment in time. So how do we, in law enforcement, how do we A, identify those unconscious biases we have, and how do we then police knowing those biases, and how do we overcome them, and how do we ensure fair and equitable treatment of all of our, of all of our citizens? And so I think law enforcement, and I know I know it doesn't feel like it, I think, but trust me, given the 25 years that I've been around, 28 years now, that we've done a really good job of eliminating those conscious bias type of situations. Where that next level is, is now more about the deeper level of understanding, right? Where does the person I'm, I'm dealing with come from? And how do I, how do I empathize? How do I identify with their situation? They'll keep myself safe, still keep professional, but at the same time, I need to do a little better job, right, of understanding their take on the situation and how it differs from my take on the situation and find that happy medium. And so that's our next level that we're addressing. We do address it in the academy. We have fair and impartial policing. We do do 
um, a little bit of procedural justice, but I think improving on those areas um, is our next our next real big goal. Hmm. Very well said, and I appreciate all the information that you have shared in this uh, conversation. For people who want more information about uh, the law enforcement training that is offered by Gateway, I assume they can find uh, just about anything they're interested in on Gateway's website? Correct. Yeah, we, have a, we have a website that kind of lists out the academy and, and the requirements for it. Um, we also do obviously have the associate degree program as well, the criminal justice associate degree program which is separate from my area, but it also touches on a lot of these aspects. Very good. So to gtc.edu for for more information. Richard Stein is Director of Law Enforcement Training here at Gateway Technical College. Richard Stein, I deeply appreciate uh, you making the time in your schedule to be part of the morning show and to be part of this important conversation. Thank you so much and best wishes with the work that you do. Thank you. Thank you for having us.